Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. time and all that hey Hi, hey craig hey morton what's up craig morton i'm tell me, you tell me who are you <laughs> i'm cody stoffer that's pastor awesome. cody stoffer i'm glad you are yeah you're pastor cody stoffer you know one of the things that i'm finding more and more difficult as yeah. uh, i guess the years go by is to think of myself as pastor craig morton I know. I mean, it feels I weird just, to say it. I mean, it's 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 such a narrow slice of my week anymore. Right, right. And um, Professor Morton sounds so lofty. I like that one. Coach, Coach Morton. Coach works. You know, nobody, very few people call, one person calls me doctor. Do- oh, two, yeah. And, and the, the only place anybody really calls me doctor with regularity i've not been going to the pub i mean it used to be i'd walk in the pub and it's like the doctor's in the house and you know, don't, <laughs> i don't get that anymore but yeah that's cool that's cool oh I, like norm yeah it, that, that has that Walking kind of feeling like you know I, that's my place i belong I, there. Uh, we watched cheers when i was you know when i was a kid we my parents would watch my dad whoever it was i don't remember but <clears throat> I uh, grew up kind of watching that a little bit. I'm sure mostly the last half of it, because I think it, I was probably too young when it first started. I don't remember when it first started, but I can remember, right? Norm walking in, everyone would say Norm. Right. But the episode I remember the most is um, Norm, I forget what his business is, what he does for a living, a career, but his employees, he was just too nice. And so he had to invent a co, uh, you know, co-owner of the business named Anton. And he would make this voice. He would put the beer stein over by his mouth and he'd growl. And And so the employees all feared Anton, even though he wasn't real. And so pretty soon that somehow they thought it was reversed that actually Norm was the fake and he was really was Anton and that's who <laughs> he really was and so he was trying to convince no I'm Norm watch see watch watch and he he did the bar entrance watch watch and all of them in the bar said Anton <laughs> Norm so I don't know why I remember that one but that's great yeah you know, so the lesson the the lesson is uh, be careful with your alter ego I don't know yeah, yeah right so <laughs> yeah uh, so uh, what's what's new in your world this week 
Huh. Let's see. Tomorrow, I I don't know. I haven't heard yet, but I think I might be picking somebody up from Moscow. Oh, really? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. Giving that person a ride to hopefully a completed fixed vehicle down yeah. here in Lewiston. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting to hear how that vehicle, um, what the prognosis is going to be on heat, oh, on, its, on its recovery. Yeah, um, oof. Rough. I mean, because the other possibility is you could pick somebody up from Moscow and just let them live there until it's repaired. <laughs> That's true. I could. We have a couch. We did. Have, we do have a spare room, but somebody yeah, is currently I, I occupying that spare room. I don't know that that's a positive option because I think he's supposed to be back at work <laughs> sometime this oh. week. Oh, um, his work is pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. Uh, what does he do? What he do details cars. Oh, sweet, cool. So if actually he sleeps on your sofa, um, maybe he Don't will do. detail your car as a uh, as, um, nah. reimbursement. Except he doesn't uh, have any of his tools. Oh, yeah. I detailed somebody's car once in high school and then I made uh, like 75 bucks. Yeah, they 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 will detail a car. They, they will de. Okay, so chances are the car that he drove of mine with only 60,000 miles on it Yes. Um, yeah, only 60,000. It's a 1996 Ford Explorer with 60,000 miles. You baby. My dad drove it for five years and then parked it in his 115 uh, degree garage for 15 years. Oh, jeez. And then before I drove it back up from Tempe, Arizona, uh, he and my, well, my, my brother took it to a mechanic, had them go through it, replace all the fluids, uh, made sure all the hoses were working, brakes were um, worked on everything was brought up to date also had to replace the tires because the tires had cracked in the Arizona heat you know how rubber gets old and just cracks mm -hmm. yep uh, so new tires you know it was actually you know pretty good shape and drove it up from Arizona I've been driving around for nearly a year well when it goes up Whitebird Hill which Whew. is like just an abysmal place especially in winter and, and for those who don't know moscow idaho located in the upper well kind of the middle of the uh, western border of the state borders against yeah. washington and oregon uh -huh. uh, but moscow is pullman. up there near pullman washington Spokane. and it is a little bit more than five hours away from boise it's about i think is it about two hours away from coeur d'alene uh maybe an hour and a half yeah, yeah, it's about an hour and a half. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and and it's it. Just, Moscow is described as that place, at least from Boise. It's the only place you go to, and it's uphill both ways. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you got to go up Whitebird Hill, which which goes up over one mile in uh, in altitude and less than seven miles of road. That's quick. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. a steep it's a steep grade. And a, wind, a little windy. And, and Not a little bad. windy. Yeah. And, uh, and and so trying to keep the RPMs up to get up that mountain, it might have blown a head gasket. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's pricey. Um, and it's yeah, it's pricey. But the thought is okay. It's a sixty thousand mile engine. Right. Uh, it's probably worth doing some major repairs on it. Yep. Because it could probably have another, you know, couple oh. hundred thousand miles in it. Heck yeah. I mean, because the 92 Explorer I had went 275. Yeah, I was gonna say you can get 250 easy. And I got a, and I and I had I had a head gasket on that one, but that was around 150,000 miles. <laughs> Not 60. It, it earned it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so yeah, it depends it how quickly that gets repaired. Is that? it possible sitting wood sitting in Arizona like that? Do you what, what the concern is that is that um, a couple of concerns. One is just all the all the solvents that are naturally put not naturally that are uh, manufactured and put into oils. Yeah. Uh, into um, all the different kinds of fluids, transmission and and radiator fluid, all those solvents sit in there, and they tend they're, they're they're varieties of cleaners to keep things clean. Yeah. But every solvent also has kind of um, this caustic kind of yeah, uh, especially if it just sits there. Yeah, yeah, right. And so mm. you know when. When I mentioned it was you know sixty thousand miles to the mechanic, it was like, well, that's pretty good. And, and then I described it set for fifteen years in Arizona in you know one hundred fifteen degree summers. <laughs> then he said, "There's probably some things that were eat, beginning to eat away." Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it just took some pressure to blow it. So it's my hunch is it's blown gaskets, not uh, warped cylinder heads and stuff like that. Okay. So, um, which you know saves a few steps. Yep, but um, we'll see what the damage is. Hopefully, <laughs> sooner than later. Did you? So you talked with them on the phone, Ban and Ban Auto. They seem legit hey, yeah. Fellas. We should have them as a new sponsor, Ban and Ban Auto. <laughs> They're um, good. They do good work. They 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 recommended by Pastor Cody Stoffer. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, pastors yeah, know. Pastors helpful. know the good ones. Yeah, they're really, you know, really, they ask, they ask the right questions. They're, you know, yep. uh, they, they, they sound like they knew what they're talking about. So, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I really appreciate the fact that your, your church benevolent society is going to take care of the repair costs. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I may, maybe <laughs> I misunderstood that. <laughs> <laughs> we better get on that sponsorship quick. That's right. Maybe uh, they'll just give us this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, uh, no, yeah. In uh, when I lived in Payette, it was the same situation. You know, everyone wants the pastor to have like in the congregation. You, you, they, they know who the really best. If they've lived there a long time, they know who the most ethical, best mechanics are, and they are quick to tell the pastor, "This is where you want to go. These are you the know, people." And that's kind of where we've been in the, uh, with a couple of places we've taken our cars, you know, here in, in the Treasure Valley. Well, one, one place over in Nampa, it wasn't the cheapest, but we knew they were the most honest. All right. And again, it was people we ended up knowing through church uh, kind of connections, where if you're going to see the mechanic every week at church and they're going to show their face, <laughs> they, they, they tend to, even if they're not honest, they will be because they got to deal with you, you know, on a regular right. ongoing basis. Yep. Uh, you know, that's, it's kind of like accountability. Yep. Um, <laughs> but you know, they're great, great folks and really appreciated their work, but it's like so far away. So we, it was hard right, to get yeah. over there. And then now here in town, one of my former uh, students um, is a manager of a, of a, of a garage oh, and nice. uh, probably one of the best students I've ever had. Uh, just a, a, a smart person, really a good guy. Um, and uh, it's like, okay, I, I, I like him. He's ethical. You know, I'll, I'll take it to his place. I love it. I love it. Here, so the, here's this garage in town. It's probably one of the oldest auto shops here in town, Meridian Auto. And it's in an old Quonset hut. 
Do you remember mm -hmm. those things? Those oh, kind yeah. of semicircular domed mm -hmm. kind of, you know, buildings. Yep. So it's, it's in that, um, and it's just your regular local neighborhood kind of blue collar garage. Yeah. And, and uh, so my student, former student, Mike, uh, becomes the manager. The, the owner hires him because he said, oh, you, you've got a degree. The other person who wants this job, same as you, same qualifications, but you've got an academic degree, which shows that you know how to complete things. Um, and, and you're the guy I want. This so was kind of cool. True. That was the that was the thing that pushed him over the over the edge. There you go. You know, or you know, across the, the finish line. What was his degree in? Uh, business. Oh, okay. I, it was I, an associate's I, degree in business management. Okay. And uh, so so he's there. And I like I said, he was one of my favorite students. I had him in a, I think probably a philosophy class. And he just loved the philosophy. He just wanted to read more. This stuff's exciting. It's about life, you know. And then mm -hmm. I had him in an ethics class and he just dug into it. Um, I love it. I might have even had him in like intro to psychology or public speaking, because I taught a lot of different courses there. Yeah. But um, his his love of learning is pretty expansive. And so in the shop, I'm not sure if he's doing it this year, but last year he uh, created a book a month program in the shop. There's Sweet. A book and, it's, you know, things on self-improvement, leadership uh, uh, qualities. Uh, uh, the uh, and, and I think there's just some good literature in there too. Every month, everybody awesome. reads a book. That's cool. And every month to say that you read the book, you've got to do like a paragraph, like, book report <laughs> and then after the book report there was some kind of like uh, positive you know reinforcement i don't know maybe it was you know a, a meal or a cake or who knows what but some kind of recognition to keep the ball rolling That's cool. and you know it's it's just it's really fascinating when you find out that your local mechanics they're all reading you know a book on you know i don't know michelle obama it's like Oh, okay. man, awesome. You know, it's like, uh, that's I mean, pretty awesome. Uh -huh. You know, and then the next month, they're going to read something, you know, by Ron Heifetz on, on business leadership. Yeah, you know? And then it's like, and this is everybody, you know, and Love it. I think that's kind of cool. That's really cool. That reminds uh, me so, of... Uh, so, so the manager thinks his job is not just to get a, a positive um, return in the, you know, the business accounts, but also to shape human beings. I'd love it. See, yeah, that's perfect. My so my uh, sister-in-law's husband, <laughs> not not my brother-in-law. <laughs> All right. Technically, technically, because I, I call him. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, so I do. Yes, of course, I will call him my brother-in-law. But lead, you know, the in the technical and all the, you know, second cousin once removed that whatever that field of study. Is oh, called. that gets very very confusing. Yes. So he is technically Lisa's brother-in-law, not my brother-in-law. And Cindy is my sister-in-law. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, so <clears throat> he's uh, he works for the city of Sandy, Sandy, Oregon. Okay. In the, uh, you know, he he's like, it's not Parks and Rec, but I mean, it's, uh, what do they call it? You know, city, what is that? City. Anyway, so he'll do, he goes under the streets and the sewers and helps him with the sewers. He, he helps at the parks with mowing, you know, mowing and landscaping. He Public services. Yeah, public, yeah, public works. There you go. <laughs> public works. <clears throat> and uh, they have a, 
a book a month deal like that, just like that. That's, that he's, he's that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's really I cool. like that. And so I'll look at the books. I'm like, man, I want to read this, you know, and I'm like, whoa, I've never, I don't know how many public works departments do this, but that's pretty darn cool. I thought it was awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm texting our potential guest. Oh, what's up? Is he busy? Swamped? I don't know. <clears throat> okay, we're having a good call. Oh, he, he was just asking, is he late? <laughs> a touch. Um, it's okay. You're never late. There's I, no late. I don't think we count time that way. That's right. We're on. Oh, not, let's see. We're not on Kronos, Kronos time. We're on. I, so I'm not sure what time zone he's in. Oh, yeah. Well, he's New York Times. So. Well, yeah. Let's see. It's nine, uh, nine o'clock Pacific. Yes. Well, it was nine o'clock Pacific. Now it's yeah. I don't think we count on people. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Being timely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually I'm one. Of, I'm on. Not usually, but about fifty percent of the time. A little late getting on. I'll just say log in when you can. Yeah. It's good. As soon as it logs on, we'll have to warn him. Uh-oh, we're recording. <laughs> so, You're stepping right in, buddy. Hey, did you see, I posted something on Facebook this morning, change of subject. Okay. The, have you seen the Cityscape NBA jerseys? No, but I love the idea already. They are really cool. Oh, um, I do like the Cityscape. Uh, so if you want to look out on Facebook, but there's, yeah, everybody's come out with these different, all the teams have come out. Do oh, I need awesome. to put on a nicer shirt? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe a hat, though, so we could get all three of us some hats. But a hat is good. Oh, wait, we're not. I mean, we are recording, but we're not going to. Are we using the video? No, we're not doing. Well, I mean, it's just to see each other so we can. Gotcha. Uh, that could be, by the way, one of the Patreon things is you get to the video. You get a video. You get the video feed. <clears throat> We're not recording video, just audio. Yeah, yo. So don't flip off. I mean, feel free to flip off the camera. Wait, what? what? <laughs> Fli feel to flip off the hammer? The camera. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Wear whatever yeah. shirt filled with ex expletives that you want. Well, he asked if you need to put on a nice shirt. I just said a hat is good. Maybe he's shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> you will find out. I need, to, I need to put a shirt on. Well, I hear the chime. Did you hear the doorbell? I did. All right. Hey, Greg, just yeah. to let you know, we um, we don't care what you look like. It's just nice to see an image where we can make faces and irritate each other. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, you match. You look good. Nice hat. Hey, hey. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Cody, Hello there. Meet, uh, Cody, is, meet Greg. Greg, meet my... Cody. Howdy. I need to move my... There we go. I've got my computer here, my big screen here. And so I'm... this this is better. Oh, all right. <laughs> Let me... Uh... It is weird when you have the screen going, though, and it's a, a little bit in a different location because you want to look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure everything's okay. Oh. <sighs> 
All right. You know, actually, actually, the video would be awesome because I think we 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 look like we're in a kind of got a similar motif. <laughs> T-shirts, hats, and beards. Oh yeah. I think I, think I like yeah. that. Cluttered backgrounds and clutter and clutter. Well, cluttered yeah, backgrounds yeah, is, are best. Craig's is pretty cluttered. Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got everything back there, including including a hurdle. <laughs> oh very, wow. I don't know what the word is, but I don't like that I have both an Avett Brothers hat and Avett Brothers poster going on. What is yeah. that? That's not Department of I, Redundancy like Department. There's a, that's a new sponsor for the podcast. <laughs> I love them, but so, now but like, see, that's that's why video doesn't matter. Now nobody knew that that was there until you mentioned it. <laughs> so, Greg, just to let you know, I think I mentioned it in one of the text messages. Is that we record live, we don't edit. Um, just because we're lazy, that's the primary reason. So oh, anything man. you say, it's kind of like it's kind of like um, you know uh, the um, we're edgy. That's what it is. Right? No, it's, it's, I was going to say it's more like um, what what's what's the thing the police have to tell you when you get arrested? Anything you say? Oh, your Miranda rights. Miranda, Miranda rights. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a Miranda right kind of thing. All right. Hey, you, you knew that answer pretty quickly. Uh, something tells me you've been arrested a time or two. <laughs> I, I have been near some arrests, oh, but I have, okay. I have not not had the pleasure myself. Came close once uh, in West Texas, but thankfully the cops saw saw fit to not pursue charges in in that case. How, how gracious! Uh, yeah. So so just as a little bit of a, a intro here, uh, Greg Kendallball, I have known for about 15 or 16 years long time yeah um we met through a consulting project that i was i was working with and and i believe greg did you you came to the boise area and were you ever ever over at a lay loan uh i think at i went to coffee shop and all that yeah okay. yeah what was it it was a canadian guy al roxborough yeah, um, yeah, that okay. Canadian guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so just just to make a little bit of a small world, I met Cody through a lay loan. Oh, okay. And Rembrandt's and that whole thing. But so there's a little connection there. But but you and I met, and I remember at that point, I remember you were just playing around with cameras. I mean, it seemed like it was a, a fun <laughs> hobby kind of thing you were yeah. doing. And then I remember it seemed like over the course of years, because the, the consulting work we were doing lasted over about a four or five year uh, period. Uh, we had do, two different consulting right. groups yeah. we were doing with, and they're kind of staggered a little bit. And I think it was like 2004 to 2008 or 2009. I can't remember exactly when we stopped it. It didn't really stop. It just kind of fizzled. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I remember you had cameras and, and they, progressively we're getting a little more complex you were buying and trading and expensive you know, and moving up and and at that point you were just uh let's see, you were just a kind of a measly back room administrator kind of guy at a college i mean to to put it generously yeah 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 <laughs> and uh but but then but then it seems like as you were you know continued working with your 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 craft with with the photography i remember one time uh i think you did it twice but i think i remember one time you were 
uh, donating your services to anybody who would pay your postage, who would like give you room, you know, and board in Africa. Yeah, and, uh, it was kind of it was kind of a GoFundMe before GoFundMe was around. Mm -hmm. And I remember you posting on Facebook. Wow, I just took a nap and woke up, and now there's twenty five hundred more dollars in my account. I think I'm going to go back to sleep. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> and, that was and you went, yeah. You went to Africa, and I think you were at an orphanage. Uh, a couple of times, okay. yeah. But I, I, um... I have some beautiful pictures of this handmade soccer ball these kids had, and this wonderful Northern uh, smile with this this you know this child with this this soccer ball that you took, and it's like I love that. Yeah. Photo. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, I remember that trip very well, um, and. I don't know how much, like, is this, uh, is this, what, what are we supposed to talk about? Do you want me to go into well, yeah, detail I just, I was about just doing by, by that? Way of kind of saying yeah. how things started. Now, now I could say, you know, here's Greg Kendall, a uh, world famous traveler uh, who, you know, has uh, scaled the heights of photojournalism now to be working for the New York Times. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's one way to put it. But the other part is, I, it was fun to watch you develop this craft. You know, several years ago, you've become a prof you, you, you've you've taught photography. You've been a professor. You have mm -hmm. um, been a photo editor, photographer, photojournalist, uh, a number of roles there. And I think one of the things that that one of the things that caught my attention, I think one would be a fun thing to actually discuss, is you know that that cliche: a picture is worth a thousand words. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. so if it's worth a thousand words, there's so many metaphors or potential interpretations the beholder gets. How, how does mm -hmm. photojournalism fit into a post-truth world? You know, what is, what is, what, what do you as a journalist, what is it, what do you think about all the stuff that's been going on in the last, I would say, at least four years, if not longer, but the, the, the fixation of the phrase fake news, um, the attempt to, you know, use confirmation bias to blind things. I mean, as a journalist, and also as a journalist, you're, you, it's a field that is declining in revenues. You know, people are cutting staff, newspapers are getting smaller. You've got an uphill battle to present truth to people, I would seem. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wonder, I'm trying to think if we can squeeze all this in before the, the bread well, then, that I've got rising. Well, that's the other thing I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah we, we got to talk about bread. I want to talk about sourdough because I've got two different recipes rising right now. Okay. And uh, also I want to talk about cricket. All right, right, right. So which you um, want to jump into first? Man, <laughs> I, think, I think either of those, bread or cricket, would be easier than journalism in a post-truth world or uh, whatever world we're in yeah. right now. Um, First of well, all, how did you get exposed to cricket? Uh, well, I, I grew up in South Africa and on the, on the, at lunch break, went down to the, the fields one day and my, my new classmates were playing with this very weird bat and no gloves and uh, just kind of had to pick it up. Um, and in, in the school system there, you were required to participate in a sport year round, whether you were any good or not. They had, you know, like your, your varsity teams, your first 15 in rugby, your first 11 in cricket, but it went all the way down. I think I played like third team 
in cricket. So whether oh, you were yeah. good or not didn't matter. You you had to be on a team and play. So there was there was a lot of bad games in there. Um, well, this but is it, amazing because I knew that you appreciated cricket because I remember one time we were on some consulting trip and you were watching like ESPN two some cricket match. It's like, probably would have been one of the World Cups back then. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. As a as a kid and especially. Um, 1992, I think, was the World Cup was held in, in India and Pakistan. And South Africa had just recently been allowed to rejoin international competition. And so there's a lot of like, uh, I remember, you know, we had school uniforms and that time of year involved a sweater. And we we would take the the old headphones with like the, the metal band and snap the earpieces off and run the speaker wire like through our sweater to a little radio in our desk. And sit there listening to the games <laughs> on the radio because uh, I mean, yeah, there was a guy named John T. Rhodes who was from Peter Maritzburg, where I was living, who made one of the most fantastic cricket plays of all time. This running, diving uh, run out of a batsman. I think it was from from India. Uh, and so we, you could kind of tell because all all the guys in class were like, ooh, at the same time trying <laughs> to be stealthy. But um, yeah. It, yeah, cricket was a lot of fun. Rugby was a lot of fun. Um, growing up as kind of an American kid, learning these non-American sports. And then when I came back to the U.S. for university, I had to learn how to like play catch with a glove. My roommate had to take me to Walmart and buy a glove because I'd never played, you know, catch or anything like that. Um, but yeah, cricket is, is a beautiful, interesting game with different versions of it. Some some games can last five days. Which well, that's what I was curious. How did you is, play it at lunch? I mean, it seems like well, you have to take yeah, a lot of. We, is it one game that continues all week? No, we. I mean, we would basically just bat around, and there were rules mm. about you know number of balls you could you could hit. Uh, and mostly in school, we'd play what's called limited overs. So it's like a like a game with a pitch count. Um, and then yeah, I never played the test cricket, which is five days of matches teams go in and out and in and out oh, multiple times and it, it's it yeah lots of tea breaks very genteel which was it was a lot of fun so um now does your you, your folks your, your folks aren't still in south africa they've moved to the they moved to scotland oddly well, that's enough. right they, they did they, yeah. they left the tropics for the frigid north um which seems like the backwards way to do retirement but they seem happy um there's still cricket there 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 is uh yeah but i mean back back to the bigger question which is i mean it, it is troubling but i i don't think i mean in a way it's it's simple that it, it does feel like the world is kind of divided into two the people who still trust in science or something called facts and in people who don't and so i think photojournalism journalism is on the side of yeah, like we, we report things that actually happen. Um, right. There's a, I mean, yeah, the, the news media will, will make mistakes. One of the great things I think about the, the print media that I'm involved in is like we will often, well, hopefully not too often, but we will publish corrections when we get something right. wrong. Um, I, I think maybe I'm still a little bitter from working in a small market in West Texas with TV reporters and 
Like when's the last time you saw a correction on, on TV news? I, I do think there's a, a difference between the kind of journalism that, that newspapers and magazines do, and especially some of like the smaller market, especially right. now with, with media condensation where every, you know, Sinclair owns what 80% of the stations right. or, you know, a lot of it is just um, people with good teeth reading teleprompters and, right. And it's, it's, it's very ephemeral, whereas, you know, a newspaper, people could look back at what, what was said 10, 15 years ago, 100 years ago. And so there's a, a sort of it's built into the, the DNA, I think, to, to get it right. And to when you don't get it right, to go back and try to make it as accurate as you can. So, so part of that is, is it, it's the proximity of the, of the journalist to the story. I mean, if you're reading something that's, that's from corporate-owned media, the person reading the news has no personal experience or encounter with the people that they're reading about. But if you are there taking photographs, you see the environment, you know what's going on. And then you right, visit it yeah. another day for follow-up. There's, it's a much different. Right. Yeah. Way to deliver. And I mean, I don't mean to besmirch all of my colleagues in, in TV. There are a lot of good reporters out there, but I think most people, when they think of TV news, it's, it's two anchors sitting at a desk at six o'clock reporting or reading something else um that that they may not have had a hand in reporting out and yeah being being on the ground especially as a photographer um you can't make pictures over the phone you can do a lot of good journalism with phone calls and interviews and stuff like that but to get the picture you have to be there Mm -hmm. when things are happening um and we could go down the whole rabbit holes about objectivity and neutrality and fairness and all that kind of stuff but basically you know everybody uh, I, I was talking to a friend on his podcast a few weeks ago and he asked kind of a similar question just about you know the the news media and with with so much fake news being yelled at or yelled out I I have worked at enough places with enough people and I'd like to think I'm, a, I'm an okay judge of character and everyone that I've worked with has been like a person who is committed to getting it right as as right as they can uh they're good decent honest people i haven't met a single person on the soros payroll who's trying to just destroy western civilization um and because i trust the individuals making the news and then i've seen up close like I'm, i've been in the systems and see right the the checks and balances or the, the the structures designed to produce something that is as as reliable as possible and so i mean if if someone is is not like willing to listen to facts like i, I don't i don't know if it's even worth trying to convince anyone um that it, it's speaking a different language <laughs> and yeah May, may not be worth the effort to try to convince someone who's not even interested in, in discussing facts because they, they've made their mind up their their mental framework is not going to even allow them to hear an argument for why something is trustworthy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, spend, spend your, your attention uh, in places that could, could make a difference maybe. So what I hear is, is, uh, you know, sports analogy, play your own game. Uh, don't don't you know don't don't get sure. so reactive to the the fake news folks that you're trying to appease them or challenge them or defend your craft to them just just do yeah. your thing yes um and one thing that i've, I've kind of learned 
in in my my life and my own journey in and out of religion or whatever is that nobody really ever gets argued into a position right. that very few times has anyone's mind changed based on logic. Um, I, I remember <laughs> remember very clearly being a young seminary student and holding fast to that you know love the sinner hate the sin this idea and and I like. My, my position on homosexuality was very, you know, biblical and all this. And nothing changed my mind. No arguments from my fellow students about why that was a, a bad position. It wasn't until I found a friend of mine uh, who was closeted, came out, and it, it was like a switch got flipped. All of a sudden, yeah. this was not just a, an idea or a theory. It was this policy or this uh, this belief it affects someone that i know and i'm in a relationship with and care about like as a human that's what changed my views right and so i don't i don't know that anyone will ever become like an abortion rights activist unless they have a friend or a close relative who has to wrestle with the decision to terminate a pregnancy if if you're just arguing and throwing facts and and medical data at someone that's never going to sway them until they have a, a relationship so if someone is convinced that the news media is all fake and we're out to you know be part of the deeps i, I mean for one their views i think are there's just so much like inconsistency out there like pick <laughs> pick a conspiracy theory and go with it but this mixing and matching just makes <laughs> even less sense. Yeah. But if it, yeah, you, you could beat your head on a wall forever to try to convince someone here's, here's why you should trust this article right. or here's why the world's leading infectious disease expert is probably right. And not some guy you went to high school with. Like that's just, that it's fruitless. I, I right, think right. Um, until they, they wake up in a COVID ward then they're going to go, Oh, maybe this is real. I don't know. But not even, maybe not, even, maybe then maybe not, yeah, even, not then. even then necessary. Cause I have uh, nurse friends who are like, I'm treating them. They are di- like, they, they're dying and they yeah. are saying, well, this isn't, this can't be that. What is else. going on with me? It's right. something else. Yeah. So I would, uh, one thing I would say, or what I'm hearing is not necessarily that skepticism is bad or even unwarranted. I mean, in fact, skepticism can be a platform to jump to want to learn more, to discover more. It's more the sure. certainty uh, that is killing <laughs> people, right? Like, I'm certain this is not, and I don't need to learn anymore. Yes. I mean, I think skepticism is a, is a great trait to, to develop. Um, I can't remember who said it, but in journalism, I say, if your mother says she loves you, get two sources. Like, I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're supposed to view view things skeptically until they're they're borne out by facts or verified. Um, verified. So, yeah, it's <laughs> but it's it's the the undaunting certainty, even in the face of because they just don't accept it. It does not yeah. fit into their worldview because, well, I don't know. Uh, there's probably myriad reasons why we are in the situation we're in regarding people's inability to think critically or read and understand things because uh yeah do you think uh i mean part of part of the um that certainty which is you know the fake news certainty the conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. uh certainty you were relating it to 
your own concrete experiences and for instance your friend who was closeted came out it changed your attitudes because of it was it was it was it was no longer abstract it was real does does photojournalism in and of itself contribute to the breaking down of those abstractions i mean is that really one of those things that can help move people along um or does because I imagine reading the words, people can think, well, you can say things any way you want and people can lie with yeah. words. Does, does, does photography do move, move the needle a little bit? I really don't know. Um, yeah. I think we, we just did this story last week that uh, I, I mean, you'd like to think you can trust your eyes, right? That you see something in a photo uh, represents reality because that's how photos were initially constructed. It was, you know, at a a very primitive level, light was hitting an object bouncing into a dark room with a sensor used to be, you know, glass or metal coated with chemicals. Now it's digital, but like something had to exist to be photographed and our minds process that visual information as reality. Technology is so advanced right now. Uh, before I, I, I took a hiatus, I guess, from journalism, I was out of it working in commercial photography for a while. And stuff that would get me fired from any job in journalism was like just part of what we did uh, in the commercial world. So like retouching digital artistry. I just, I remember we had, a, we had an ad campaign for a tech company and there was a photograph of uh, just a beautiful nature scene, but there was somebody had left a backpack in an area. So we sent it off to a retoucher to, to take out the backpack. I knew what the original frame looked like and what had been changed. And even at that like super in-depth, I was, I was pixel peeping. I could not tell that that frame had been altered. Pixel oh, wow. peeping? Like I was zooming in to the pixel oh, okay. level to see yeah. where where the digital painting or whatever had happened. And I knew that this image had been altered and I still right. couldn't detect it. So what what's going on out there that uh, that is not detected, not detectable. But then we did this thing with artificial intelligence creating fake people. I don't know if you saw that yeah. that article. Uh, about none of these people existing and it it really I back in grad school I did a, a paper on and I got an A so I guess it was okay but about how faking faking news photographs actually does moral harm to someone right. because of the way we trust our visual senses it's a pre <laughs> pre um, rational like you don't think about what you see and whether or not to trust it it just happens okay. before yeah. you can even think about it and so we have to take great care to show reality but then again like you i think a great example was was donald trump's inauguration photos where you know there's visual evidence of something and yet somebody gets up in front of a podium and says largest crowds ever period don't trust your eyes the news that, and that's faking the, me. and and so what do you do there it's it's back to the same thing people are it's, that it's are so... interested and believe in facts will maybe be swayed by images right. people who are not it's not going to matter <laughs> so we I have mean, lying you images had, you that portray a truth and we have true images that portray a truth but the response is still the same uh i don't believe it or i i, I, mean, I will believe the contrary 
Um, you, you had I, you had President Trump in his own words talking yeah. about assaulting a woman, and then he says, "I didn't say it," or or people are like, "That wasn't him." Like the, the fact that you can be presented with some evidence. There are tweets like he will write something. It's in black and white, and then he will be you know, somebody will say, "He didn't say that." Right. Right. And just, how how do you just not like have your brain explode? So I was just thumbing through a book because I was trying to find a name. Uh, tell me if this name rings a bell. Timothy O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a, a, a Civil, Civil War, War era yeah. photographer who then staged scenes of dead bodies to portray, I would say more of an artistic impression or... of what was going on, but it was taken yeah. as fact. And he, he kind of banked on that, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, um, well, yeah. And it, it's, so photography has this, has the, had this challenge almost since its beginning. True. And ethics, I think, are constantly evolving. They have to respond to advances in technology in our understanding of the world. Back right. then, when a photo would take two or three minutes uh, it, it was also just a, a very new medium. And right. so like now, absolutely, that would get somebody fired. Even back then, it might have been sketchy. But, you know, some of the greatest documentary photographs produced by the Farm, Farm Services Administration during the Depression. All right. Come to find out later, were staged. Um, and so i mean that that's a rabbit hole of like what is truth documentary right. filmmakers will talk about using a lie to tell the truth recreating right. a scene or or staging something whereas you know photojournalism that would get you should get you blackballed yeah. forever uh you you want to show truth with a camera is one of the the sayings that Right. <laughs> that one of the, the founders, I guess, of the, the movement started. But it, it, it really seems uh, that question from Pilate to Jesus about what is truth is a perennial question that's incredibly important. And there's different ways to answer it. Um, uh, yeah, versus truth. Oh, uh, wow. So what are, one of the other things uh, that's intriguing about your photography, I mean, if we want to talk about some of the fake news things, I think that's, I mean, I, that, that's a huge issue, too. But the other thing that I enjoy about your photography as a style because I mean, um, you have you have wonderful images that are sparse. I mean, you you could take an image, you could take a picture of those blinds behind you. You probably uh -huh. have, and like yeah. that's a cool picture. Uh, you have a you have a photograph of uh, like a water tower with the word happy on it that you put on uh, Instagram like a couple of days ago. Yeah, just this this tower surrounded by sky, nothing else going on. Um, I remember early on, some one one of your photos was of uh, a brick wall with the door, you know, and it was like a, like a back of a warehouse or something like that. And there, it almost seems like there's a style there in the artistic side of what you're you're looking at. Or hmm. what is it? What what are you doing outside of that? Or do you take your head out of the? I'm a photo. I'm a journalist trying to tell the truth. And sometimes are you just an artist trying to express something else? Yeah, man. Um, I, I have bristled against the, the term artist for okay. a long time because I, uh, like my dad is an artist. He paints, he draws incredibly. Um, and I, I got into photography because of its ability to communicate 
Uh, and years ago, I went to a workshop where, uh, I mean, it, it's odd. We use a lot of the same tools mm-hmm. as artists would, light and structure and composition and, and all those color, right. all, those, all those kinds of things. But we use it differently than, than an artist would, I guess. Um, first of all, my Instagram is mostly just me playing around. Uh, as, a, as a photo editor these days, I get, to, I get to hire really talented photographers. And when I make pictures, it's just for me. So it's anything. Right. It is things that I like. Um, and I, I think I do have a certain aesthetic that I prefer. I like that kind of minimal straight lines, graphical compositions. Right. Um, so personally, that's just, that's kind of what my eye is drawn to and I enjoy. Um, so rather than an artist, would you say that in those minimalistic compositions, you're, you're not, you're not artistically trying to express something as an artist. You're trying to see something that exists and find it kind of in a kind of unadulterated form and present just that thing you see. I don't know. I probably play it being an artist sometimes again, cause like Instagram, sometimes it's like, this is just what a thing looks like. And then sometimes uh, yeah. being, being aware of like what, what effect color and shadow can like have on someone. Um, right. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think you want, you want someone to react to whatever it is you're trying to say and whether you are saying something poetic or artistic or like writing a shop manual for something you know it's like it's yeah. it's still it's arranging words I think at, at the end of the day whether it's artistic or journalistic I think the goal is to communicate and to connect with people um if if you can heighten someone's understanding of the world or just sometimes it's it's just I, remember, I can't remember was it Michael Collins one of the astronauts I think in the Apollo missions said like when you're out on the moon or circling the moon or whatever and you look back at earth there are no political boundaries it's like right. you just want to take politicians and grab them by the scruff of the neck and say look at that you expletive yeah and, and so maybe sometimes it's like you just want to point somebody at something and for me like that minimalist uh, i i admire photographers who can do this really layered deep uh really structured photographs i've never been able to master that i like i like making things simple and hopefully it's very clear what it is i want you to be looking at (laughs) the message of that whether that's again journalistic or or artistic um but i think there's just there's there's if you've got a hundred editors or hundred photographers, you're going to have a hundred different styles of, right. of ways that, you know, it's like the difference between Hemingway and like Thomas Wolf. Like they're both writing prose. They're on like entirely different sides of the spectrum when it comes to how do you tell this story? Right. Um, six words or 6,000 words. <laughs> the, uh, the, um, it, it's something you said in describing uh, what you're doing when you're uh, composing a photograph. Made me think of how to communicate with those fake news, post-truth folk. I mean, what you're trying to do is present something. Um, you said you're trying to communicate it to to others. I mean, you, you're, you're talking about communication. Um, sure. That you're you're 
you're simply trying to present something and it needs to build up over time, I would think, as a relationship with a photographer, with a, with a, with a writer, with, and we all have such short um, attention spans. It's hard to develop that writing, but it seems like if you, uh, I mean, d develop that relationship, but if, if you have an aesthetic to your art, well, <laughs> to your photography, um, you know, I see it and go, oh, that, that looks like something Greg would, would uh, take a picture of. That looks like something he would do. What I'm beginning to notice is you have, you have developed a relationship with me as a viewer and I'm going, I think I'm beginning to see what he's doing. I'm beginning to see what he's looking at. I would guess as a photo editor, you're also applying some of that aesthetic and thinking, how does this communicate to the potential reader, you know, the consumer of the oh, news? Yeah. And, and it's <laughs> not about, I mean, partly one, you're trying to communicate what's really going on. But the other part, you're trying to make sure that communicating what really is going on actually isn't just the sending of the information, but it's also being uh, receivable, that, mm -hmm. that somebody can grasp this. So that's actually two-way communication. Right. I mean, it's, um, I, I, I kind of wrote my master's thesis on this idea of why you pick a certain picture. And sometimes you... Uh, I mean, there's so many forces at work anytime you are deciding on, on which image to run, um, which is a lot of my, my job as a photo editor. Um, uh, personal style is one part of it, but that usually gets subsumed by uh, the organization you work for or a boss or yeah. standards and practices. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is complicated, but ultimately you want, you want the information you're trying to convey to be consumed. You want, you, I mean, I, the, the newspapers will, will all, you know, we, we do crossword puzzles and comics and recipes, but I think that, that kind of helps subsidize or, or, or make possible the, the, the news, the, Right. information about the world that we think people should know about and you you want people to read an article and there's just there's at a practical level there have been studies done about eye tracking and because we are such visual people you look at the photo first and then you decide maybe even before you think about it if you're going to continue with this article a lot of people talk about you know it's clickbait it's designed to get readers right. i mean in, in a way like if, so, if you can't capture someone's attention with an image, then they will read the headline and then they will read the caption to the photo and then decide, I will read this long wall of text. And so, right. and going back to the whole bristling against the, the idea of art, um, that is like a shorthand that we use in the industry to talk about, you know, if, if you've got to run around and just find a standalone photo for the front page, because there's there's nothing else you call it, you know, it's wild art or mm. uh, someone will say, how, how's the art for the story? And it, it means, you know, how's the, how's the photography, but I think historically there has been a, a sort of downplaying. It's just the pretty rectangles. And this, this workshop I went to, you know, they, they really kind of stressed. It's not, it's not art. It's not decoration. It is right. information communicated visually in the same way that a chart or a graph would be photojournalism is not just it's not art photography even though it uses some of the same tools it is designed to convey information 
and maybe some of it is like an emotional element. You want someone right. to feel something and react to it. But um, I remember at, when I worked at the Washington Post, the director of photography had a, a chair in the, the hub of the newsroom, which is where all the kind of news happened. And on the back, it said photography, not art. Because <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe if if we if we just get too comfortable with that, it it can diminish um, the role of photojournalism to just decoration um, right. to to break up. Uh, when when I was working on the print desk a while ago, uh, they talk about if a story goes gray, and that means no no photography with it, just a block of text. And most times, those are stories that may not be as important. And so I don't know if I'm, if I'm communicating that well, yeah. but like sometimes pictures could just be thought of as a way to break up a wall of text. Right. Um, and I remember once in a, in a, a budget meeting or a, a news meeting about what we were doing, we had a photographer on the ground in Ferguson, Missouri, during all of the, the protests and the unrest in 2015. And the photographer had connections to the community that the reporter didn't have, because again, this photographer had to be out there every night documenting this, had to be where stuff was happening, had sources, had contacts, was able to convey information. And I remember a couple of the editors being a little surprised that the photographer was as much a reporter as the reporters were, that they had information and sources. They were telling the story, right. not just making pretty rectangles to go on the front page. And I mean, we all have our little biases and, we work in these silos and you tend to, well, I don't know. I, I, I like, I like words and pictures and I think right. it's best when they all work together well, but uh, yeah, uh, I think photojournalism is, is information more than it is art. It can be beautiful. One thing, <laughs> one thing I'm thinking of here when you're talking about this is uh, when I go back and I think about some of these stories in the last, even just the last year of journalists who've been, uh, hassled by the police or arrested or anything like that. Um, when I watch clips of it happening, they always go for either the video, the person with the video camera or the, the, the camera for, they don't worry about that. The reporter as much, they go for right. the video yeah. or the photographer, um, because they are the one capturing that information that you're talking about. That's, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the... interesting. I didn't think about that until now. Going back to like, you know, the, the George Floyd protests, would would that have raised to, you know, global consciousness without video evidence of that thing happening? Right. Uh, if it had just been reported after the fact by, you know, from affidavits or, you know, a, a lot of when you're doing crime stuff, you are you're basing it off of criminal warrants or complaints signed by police officers. And I think we've, we've discovered not all police officers tell the truth 100% of the time or tell an unvarnished truth. And so if, if in that case, that, that man's death sparked this global movement because there was video evidence of it. If someone had written a story about a man getting killed by police and his neck was, well, was it, was it really, you know, eight minutes or whatever, is this... But there was there was visuals of it, right. which made it undeniable. Um, right. So I think there's a there's a power to it. Yeah. Have it, you ever yeah, had you can, any of your 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Craig. Uh, I was just thinking of the path the power to it because so many images, news images, have had incredible power to affect social change. I mean, as a child, when I was a kid, the first one I remember was the the little girl in Vietnam who had suffered from the uh, napalm attack. Changed the you know popular opinion of the war. Yeah, that you, could, you could go through oh, kind war. of the history of news photographs yeah of war not just that yeah. war and and yeah i think that's the, the power of the image i'm sorry there's something else you're going into yeah. well, i was going to ask if uh has has any have any photos that you've captured or in your line of work ever been used as like evidence in some trials or anything like that like has that ever happened where like you no captured? no oh, okay. i <laughs> um and, and and generally, like there is a uh, there's a reluctance to we're, we are not part of law enforcement. Right. Um, there was recently a, a lot of uh, a lot of blowback. The I think in Seattle, a judge ruled that a newspaper would have to turn over photographs. Um, and federal shield laws are, are pretty strong because uh, I mean it, it would. In, incredibly hamper our ability to work independently if right. a judge or a law enforcement agency can say give me all of your stuff like that right. it's kind of like reporters going to jail to protect their sources like we're not gonna turn over like if an image is published in the newspaper you can look at it but like right. turning over negatives or digital files of you know anything that's reported um that's pretty pretty frowned upon um <laughs> Law enforcement should do their job, and our job is to report on what's happening. Otherwise, you become without an extension. fear or favor. Yeah. yeah, I would think in a in a fascist state, the journalism is just an extension of the policy or the um, the law enforcement. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, we we could also get into a discussion about this country and its uh, its limits on the press um, propaganda even when done very well is still state run media. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, and maybe just in hindsight uh, are very nostalgic for the Obama era when Pete Souza was doing amazing photography of the presidency. Oh, right. Right. But, but what a lot of people don't remember is that the Associated Press and other media organizations sued for access because we were being, kept out of places where we felt, you know, we had a, a right to be reporting on the public's business. And, and the White House's position was, well, we'll give you pictures. And they'll be beautiful pictures because Pete is really good at what he does. <laughs> but we wouldn't, we wouldn't accept a handout image from Kim Jong-il or, you know, right. Vladimir Putin. Although sometimes we do um, yeah. because the, but just because, yeah, I think, you know, being, being wary, being skeptical of the source of an image because we understand the power that it has uh, right. and that they could be manipulated. Uh, I think a, a free and independent press is, is a very important thing. Um, couple, I would love to keep going, but I know you've got, uh, you've got some dough you're working I, with. I do. I do have some bread. I, I had to run away just for a little on. while because I had to go do a, a, a stretch and fold. Uh, All so. right. 
I'm not not making sourdough today. I'm trying a, a Japanese milk bread. Oh, that's pretty awesome. A little, little softer, a little. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I like to change it up every once in a while. Well, I've got. I'm. I'm doing. Have you ever done a? Do you, do you follow King Arthur's recipes uh, on some of their? Yes. Yeah, recipes. Yeah, they've got they've got they've got a good collection, but they've got one that's a it's a hybrid loaf, so it's yeast sponge, a little and yeast a, and a little sourdough, a sourdough levain, and. Um, the Levain is so dry and thick, and then the the sponge is so wet and and so doing a stretch and fold, it's like oh, I gotta wash those hands. They're just <laughs> covered. It's probably about a oh, 80, 85 percent moisture content, so it's pretty. Do you, pretty do you wet. wet your hand before you start working with the dough? Yeah, yeah. I, and I then, uh, that, but yeah, you're. It's always gonna. The, the, this one there. is a great loaf of bread for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's a nice, soft, kind of like a milk bread. It's going to be nice and soft and fluffy, almost like a brioche. But other than that, Ooh. I've got a just a just a country loaf going of, of sourdough. Just, uh, dig it, man. I, yeah. I, I think, I mean, for some reason, sourdough took off during the pandemic. But I think... How, it, well, you've been doing it for a while. You've been a baker for a while. You're not a fad, you know, jumping I, I was I was a sourdough bro well before yeah. COVID hit. But... Um, I think that there's something about it. Like uh, usually I will make my, my bread on a Sunday and, you know, you feed it the night before, but then you wake up and it's the, the house is quiet and it's, it's just a nice kind of contemplative exercise. Yeah. There's, there's stretching and folding and you feel the dough developing and then there's a lot of resting that happens. And, and it's not on the letting, clock. Yeah, you, I mean you the dose. Pay the, attention to the way that yeah. it's it's responding, and then yeah. at the end of the day, you got hopefully something nice to eat. But yep. it's it's not the worst way to spend a day. Um, I agree. Checking in on your loaves, and um, and then sometimes you get uh, asked to to audition for a baking show because uh, they like the fact that you have a beard and can make uh, croissant or something. Yeah, but uh, it's. Yeah, I learned to learn to bake for my mom a long, long time ago, and I just uh, uh, I love it. You get something good to eat, but also it's just a it's a nice yeah. way to still feel feel connected to her. And then, yeah, breaking bread is like a it's a fundamental human yeah. trait, right? One of my mother's quotes when we were young, my 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 brother and I were in those teen years and just insatiable appetites, and so she cleared out a closet and said, "This is your pantry." Tell me what you want. I'll buy it. You got to learn how to make it. You know, here's a cookbook. If you want anything about methods, let me know. And she had this saying, she said, I want to raise my sons not to be a curse to their wives, <laughs> which was a bit of encouragement, but it sounded like a wee bit of judgment on my dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. she taught us to do what we're, you know, considered to be domestic kinds of, you know, um, oh, man. chores and, yeah. So by the time we graduated high school, we knew how to sew. We knew how to iron. We knew how to do laundry and separate laundry. We knew how to clean a house, but we also wow. knew how to do everything in the kitchen. Um, and uh, so, yeah, when I cook, I often think about that phrase and about my mom. Oh, so man. yeah, it is, it is a way to connect. Oh, there's, there's my bread timer. Um, just, it, it, that reminded me of a, of a funny story from South Africa growing up. You, you could pick, uh, like you had an elective class in high school. Most of my guy friends picked wood shop. I decided I was going to take home economics 
because our school had just recently gone co-ed. I'm thinking, I would rather be in a class with a bunch of girls than a bunch of guys, <laughs> you know, learning how to like cook and bake and like be with the, the girls for a couple hours a week. And enough of my friends decided that was a good enough idea that they created an all guy section of home. <laughs> oh. Backfire. We learned to cook and bake and iron and sew on buttons and all this with just a bunch of bros in, in our aprons in the home. That's all right. <laughs> Trendsetter. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, I know your timer just went off. Do you have time for five questions? They're quick. Okay. okay. We, we have sure. our own little tradition. We've got five questions. We ask everybody. All right. Um, so All right. I think this okay. it, we've had a great conversation. I really enjoy catching up with you, Greg, but this is where it gets a little intense. So this is it. You're on the hot seat. Okay. What are you drinking right now? Like it can be, yeah, it can be literally right now or what's like your favorite go-to drink that you want, you want people to know about. Oh man. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lone Star Lager. It's a cheap, it's the national beer of Texas. It's not what I would consider a great beer. I've had, you know, the $15 craft ales. This is, this is a great beer for like after uh, mowing the lawn in West Texas. It's very wet and very cold, which is, you know, prerequisites. And under the bottle caps are these little word puzzles, which get harder and harder to solve the more of them you have. But that's a, <laughs> it's a nice non, non-pretentious beer that I wish more people would, would, appreciate we can use a little less pretension in the world i think so especially in the beer world yeah yeah okay what are you reading so it can be a book you're reading right now it could be essays that you want people to know about or a blog anything like that oh man uh well currently i'm reading the silent patient novel by alex michaelides i guess i just it was up in my my uh my Libby Q for my library. And then um, the one that I'm slogging through is Joseph Campbell's man, or hero with a thousand faces. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of mythology and how it functions in human existence, how we make sense of the world. Yeah. It's a little dense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is one of those, his works Campbell. tend to be good in small doses Yep. Over a lot with lots of pondering. Yeah. With lots of lone star whiskey. It's a lone star. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta because you got the pretentiousness of Joseph Campbell. No, I'm just kidding. He's not very <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I will be pretentious all day long when it comes to scotch, but <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. There's a lower barrier to entry when it comes to, to cheap loggers. Love it. Okay. What are you watching? So what, are you binging anything on Netflix, Hulu, or is there a YouTube channel you think people should be checking out or a TV show? Um, documentary? Uh, yeah. I just finished The Queen's Gambit, which was yes. beautifully Very photographed. Um, mm-hmm. Just started The Undoing on HBO. But like my, my go-to, uh, like when I'm trying to just fall asleep at night, uh, may not be for everybody, but there's a show called Letter Kenny. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that the the writing is it, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's it one is. of my favorite shows. The 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 recursive humor. Oh, it's it's brilliant. And it's like little twenty minute things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not not PG, it. but man, hilarious. The um, the rhythm of the dialogue is just mesmerizing. 
love it. It it's it's some of the best writing that I've yeah. I've enjoyed in a long time. Just Definitely. yeah, the characters. Uh, if you told me I would love a show about a rural Canadian farming town, I would have been very skeptical. But it it's it's amazing. That's cool. We had a bar here and a, a, a community group of friends that threw a Letterkenny party. That, you know, Super soft birthday party. party. Yeah, so that's right. Exactly. <laughs> It was good. And ply birthday okay. party. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there you go. So you good? All right. And uh, so, you, what are you listening to? So, is there a new album of music, or even an old classic, or a podcast that you think people should check out, or anything like that? Yes, yes. Um, I was I was struggling to think of what it is, but um, there's a podcast called Poetry Unbound. Hmm. Yeah. It's done by the same group that does Krista Tippett's On Being. Uh, this Irish poet named Padrego Tuma, who I could listen to read a phone book. Um, <laughs> he he selects a poem, he reads it in this beautiful Irish brogue, and then he discusses it. And he is a he's a poet himself, and he just he unpacks these things and makes you think about poetry. and And it's it's just it's beautiful. I I drove out to go hiking in a canyon and just listened to that for an hour, like four or five different poems and his thoughts on them, and it's absolutely worth checking out again what yeah, was the title poetry unbound poetry unbound I, I okay. think. I hope so. it's just it's in my it's in my podcast i just yeah definitely yeah, that's, check okay. that's it what out. i listen to on uh, uh drives because i know i can do you know five or six episodes real quick even in a, a one hour drive or something like that so yeah hmm. it's yeah. so good and he he's a um I don't know if he's still in ministry, but he was in ministry in some form. He was a pastor uh, or is huh. a pastor. Yeah, he, I think he's still very religious. Uh, I follow him on, on Instagram and he was he's doing a reading for the, the Christmas season. Uh, very spiritual poetry that, that he writs and enjoys himself. And he, and he talks, I think, a bit about um, growing up as a, a gay man in very Catholic Ireland and wow. the things he's had to unlearn about. I mean, it's. I, I have a, a big crush on him as a person, and then this podcast, uh, super, That's super right. good. It's good. It is. It's solid. Okay, and uh, Craig and I show up at your door unexpectedly. Where are you taking us for dinner, or what are you making for us? I was going to say you, you, we're not going anywhere because West Texas is a hot spot among hot spots. Um, people don't wear masks. Um, you know, I. I'm an okay home cook. I think my, my go-to lately has been a, a homemade pasta carbonara with homemade noodles. And then just, um, if you can find really good guanciale, I'm sure I'm butchering that, but it's like a, a real, it's like a smoked or uh, cured pork belly. Uh, yeah, that is a, it's not a health food, but man, it's good for chewing on for a little bit. Have some beers, some whiskey along with that, and that's that's an all right evening. That is. There you go. Probably nice. some bread. There would have to be some some garlic bread on the side. <laughs> awesome. That sounds good. That's it. Those are five. You survived. Those are the questions. Ah, that was that was intense. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So well, how long are you in Texas? Uh, maybe maybe another month. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and then it then it's to Brooklyn. Or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
crazy story about finding a place up there, uh, converted brownstone that, or a brownstone that was converted into a photographer's studio once upon a time. It's, it's just, uh, I'll, I'll send you a picture. It's just a (laughs) wall of windows that Uh I fell in love with on, on the ad and then saw it was way out of my price range. But then I noticed of all the apartments in Brooklyn, which, you know, there's gotta be at least a hundred. I came across the one and fell in love with one that is, was being offered by someone that I used to work with in Washington. Really? So it was like super small world. Felt like the universe was saying, Go this is way. your place for at least a little while. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'll be two blocks from Prospect Park so I can hopefully get back on my my running and cycling because I've been doing a lot of COVID baking and not a lot of COVID exercise. So <laughs> well, you don't look worse being... for wear, so you'll, you'll be all right. <laughs> I wanted Thank to you. tell you, my, uh, my eight-year-old daughter, she... She's read a book by this guy who uh, is famous for uh, taking photos of snowflakes, capturing them, taking the pictures of snowflakes. I can't remember his name, but uh, he developed like this whole system so he could do it. And she now wants to be a photographer, but it's so Ooh. cute. She wants, doesn't say, I know, she doesn't say, I want to be a photographer. For the last like month, she keeps saying, I want to be a photographist. So now hey. whenever, you keep, whenever you keep saying photographer, I'm like, wait she, a minute. <laughs> she should lock down that Instagram handle now because I, photographer. I, I could, oh yeah, photographer. I like that. Yeah, I think that's good. That's what, yeah, correct. We told her you need photographer. Yeah, I will. We've told her it's for you know it's photographer, but now we feel bad that we told her because it's so cute that she says photographer. <laughs> why? Why not? I mean, language is arbitrary in a lot of ways. You could be a. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're a dramatist, you make drama. If you're a chemist, yep. you make chemical. You can be a. I, I think I'm not going to be a professor anymore. I'm going to be a professist. Because <laughs> I there you go. There you go. Nice, nice. All that right. sounds awesome. Well, thanks. Bernie. All right. Thank Good you guys. Up with you. Yeah. We'll talk. And we'll to you put again some soon. some of your links on our uh, podcast page so people can and follow you on uh, Facebook and Instagram. All right. All right. Instagram is just, it's mostly just weird stuff that I see. So, well, uh, put expectations low. <laughs> that's important what you see. <laughs> All right. You guys have All a right. good one. Thanks, Greg. See ya. Bye. Bye bye. Let's see. Um, well, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, our merch coming out. You know, I think that's a fine idea. Um, okay. So yesterday you and I were talking about t-shirts, mugs, uh, masks. Yes. Things that we could do to uh, let people know that Profound things will be said, but they'll be entirely by accident. And that we're allergic to big words, but not big ideas. And so I think that would be a, a that would be a fun thing. And so on the website at um, themissionplace.org, where we host the podcast or have the po- podcast uh, page, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are going to be setting up a shop. Yes, we are, where people can get t-shirts, 
hats, mugs, and face masks. And what we're looking at trying to do is what? Buy ourselves a yacht maybe or? Um... <laughs> yeah, we, Craig and I are tired of this blue collar existence. We want to experience life to the full. And that means having things like nice middle of the road microphones instead of headsets. <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know. So, so there, there are some equipment needs that might be fun to fix up. But sure. you know what? It might not be a bad idea. What? Because I mean, we had, we we talked with. Um, well, you you're in your church. You talked with uh, Whitney Mistel. Yep. And then we had Whitney also on our podcast before that. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's um, community organizations or nonprofits that, you know, after we buy our yacht, that we'd like to be able to give the uh, excess to. Yeah, I would love, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, once we've achieved whatever goal we're working for, while Craig's mentions yachts, I'm thinking you know, maybe also hosting fees for our website is also up there with a yacht. <laughs> so once we exactly. reach those types of goals, uh, yeah, we could give the access to things like Inclusive Idaho or, um, oh, what are some of the other guests we've had on and organizations that have been represented? Well, you know, we early on years ago, we talked with, I, I keep thinking of Monica Coleman because I see her name pop up frequently. Oh yeah. And we talk about mental health, you know, and yes. there's probably organizations that uh, are, you know, really struggling with issues of isolation and loneliness and depression, yep. not only because it's winter or because it's, uh, Christmas season, but also because of all the isolation due to COVID. That's right. You know, and there's some, some things that, you know, would be good to support there for mental health. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, who else have we spoken to? Um, Let's see. We've had on, uh, oh, well, doesn't, don't you have a family member who does uh, something with play, playing with? We have, I do have, a, I have a daughter that has an org, a nonprofit organization that tries to make sure that physical movement, play, and athletics are available to people of all abilities. Uh, yeah. Really, that, you know, that really began when she was working with um, students who were uh, in special ed classes yep. and making sure that they had access to or ability to learn all the socialization and the physical awareness, all that kind of stuff that comes through sports and athletics. Yep. So that sounds like a worthwhile one. Hopefully Idaho is one, yeah. Yep. What about uh, up there in your area? So in my area, we have, um, oh, I have to think of, you to, you to let me think for a little bit, man. Yeah. Well, well here's it. something to be fun to do. Maybe we need to do, get on the Facebook page and ask people to make some suggestions Ooh. without the um, with, without promising that we will support their their favorite organization. Well, well you know, it might be we... might be interesting to see if we could get some people to uh, suggest some some possibilities as well. I love it. But I yeah, to be up to be up front, it would be yeah. We 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 would like to be able to get some cash uh, to build up our our uh, technology. 
Yep. But we'd also like to find a way to support some of those folks that uh, we've talked to. I love it. Or some of the organizations they represent or some of the concerns they they um, they care about too. So Yeah, I love it. Okay, uh, that is a great idea. So yes, we're going to have a merch store set up here pretty soon with our logo and our catchphrases, uh, possibly or not possibly, but when we get it all figured out, a way to support through Patreon that will get you some perks like some of our merch and other things that we're... <laughs> thinking about and, you know we, we do record video on our on our podcast and sometimes the video is helpful to tell the other part of the story yeah. i mean you can see uh, you know facial expression you understand some of the maybe inside jokes perhaps or you understand when we are joking um you can also tell when we're doing things like sweeping the floor or shaping bread dough to make uh, loaves that's right such as we are doing at this moment. Because you know, there's, I mean, there's just something about watching a man need some dough or a man sweep the floor. You know, I think that's something that needs to be, uh, be, be uh, those images need to be shared with the world. That's right. Because I continue to read things about how um, women still do like 60, 70% of the housework um, yes. So we seem like we're in a enlightened society where that isn't, you know, an understood thing. Isn't it weird, though, like we're there and yet still it's like the cultural expectation of. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't get it. Um, you, I, I mean, for me, I worked from home. If I did not do yeah. laundry, clean the right. house, prepare food. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Right, exactly. Yep. So. Yep. So I've, I've shaped two loaves of bread now. Um, and we'll see how those turn out. Those are for sandwich breads. So uh, it's you, my favorite sir, recipe for peanut you, butter sir, and jelly sandwiches. You, sir, are not a curse to your wife. There may be other things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so don't speak too, don't speak so quickly. Well, I'll let, I'll let her speak for herself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you got it. You got it. Speaking of, yeah, I didn't mention this last time, but for the month, I'm glad November's done because for the month of November, I think I spent um, 24 days in quarantine, sleeping on the um, my office oh, floor yeah. on an air mattress. How's, how's Carla doing? She's doing well. So she she tested positive for COVID a few weeks ago, mm. and so she um, had had the had the virus ah. symptoms for about ten days, and then the day then that went away. And as of uh, yesterday, Monday, she went back to to work, and so we'll see how. What was her? She didn't have a terrible. Case. Like, I was gonna say must not have been. I mean, her, her, her case was largely head cold symptoms, but a hundred degree fever that Ooh. stayed there for probably eight days. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Almost more than anything, just tired. You know, just really tired that, from that. fatigue. That's what I'm hearing. And that is actually something she might experience again a little bit. Yeah. I'm hearing. Read or heard is issue of viral load, I guess. Yep. And if you get 
a whole lot of virus, you get a whole lot of sickness. Yep. If you have a light dose, you might not get as sick, but then also you might also not have developed an immunity because you can get a large That's right. dose. Yep. Yep. And so with that, she's back, back at school, back in the Petri dish. Oh, um, boy. So we'll see what happens. <sighs> my goodness. All right. Yeah, my, so the, the uh, sister-in-law that I referenced earlier, you know, her husband and him reading uh, right. in the public works, she has tested positive just yesterday and her two children too. And he's waiting for his test, but I mean, more than likely. Yeah, so, we were, we were, um, the three of us, Carla, Nathan and I were sitting down on the sofa <clears throat> on a Zoom call together. When the Zoom ended, Carla went, I don't feel too well. Then she took her temperature, realized she had a fever. And all of a sudden it's like, we were, we were close together, shoulder to shoulder so that we could be you know, on a video camera. Yep, yep. And it's like, oh, we, we, we brushed right up against it all. And, um, and so then, then Nathan missed a week of work because you know, he had been in touch with somebody with COVID. Right. Um, some of his coworkers had been in similar situations. And so the owner of the shop said, hey, we're just shutting down for the week. Yep. Uh, so you know, to keep our customers safe. Yep. And um, so then, you know, Nathan, Nathan tested. He was he was negative. I didn't test because I never felt any symptoms coming on. Yeah. And um, anyway, so we got through it. Oof. And uh, we made it. I I have no um, what's the word? I wouldn't be surprised if we do it again. You know, if we get it through here right. again. Oh yeah, but I remember it was about a month ago. Yeah, uh, some some COVID skeptics were saying, "Well, I don't know anybody who's had it. Do you know anybody who's had it?" And it's like, "Well, I know of people, you know, but it's not really come close, like touched my household. Right. Spoke too soon, you know." Exactly. So. Yep. Uh, well, well, well. Yep. All right. Well, you got the sweeping done. <laughs> Yeah, my so my sister-in-law that I that has it, she is a, a nurse, and that that's how she got it. Was uh, working in a care facility actually for elderly folks. So in yeah. one day, like in less than a week, like it was like two days, it went from let's see, it went from nine patients who had it to, and there's 34 patients total. It went from nine to like 23 like like that wow and so and then and that's the patients and then all the tons of the nursing staff got it too and uh, they've been testing you know they test every week and they all <laughs> i don't know um i kind of understand i mean i understand the administrator's position that she was in but she was like okay cindy you haven't had a negative test yet um you've got to come in because literally Everyone, all the nursing staff had it and the ones that didn't quit. So she was it. She was going to be the only one for an overnight shift wow. for all 34 patients. And um, she was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think. Uh, and then she started feeling sick. Like, and she's like, I can't. No, I'm not going in. Sorry. And then the next day tested and it was a rapid test and it came back positive. So, wow. Yep. But the administrator was like, I mean, I under, I, you know, 
it seemed cold, but also at the same time, like, what do you do? You got 34 patients, no nursing staff. Ugh, I don't know. Rough, rough stuff. <laughs> so how's, how's, Ad, how's Advent going? Got a good start? Good so far. Yep, good. Yep, had a great start. Uh, our intern kicked it off with a sermon, so I didn't have to do the first sermon. That always helps. And uh, yeah, that was nice. And we mailed out almost 150 between the two churches copies of an Advent devotional that we're all going to be going through that we printed and made. And uh, it's kind of a it's a kind of a coloring <laughs> devotional, you know, like contemplative Zen like. Oh, nice. Devotional. Yep, yep. So we did that, got that out, and uh, I'm working on Christmas Eve, what we're going to do. I'm just not sure yet what we're going to yeah. do, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you? It, well, it's going okay. I think one of those things that, that, you know, hits me every once in a while is, you know, doing, doing part-time pastoring, you know, very few hours a week. I find so much of my creativity is I just don't have time for it. So it's right. like, oh, what did I do last year? What did I do three years ago? What, you know, do what do I have to file? Yeah, yep. come up, you know, oh, yeah. revise it a bit and throw it back in, which, yep. you know, it's fine. It does the work. On the other hand, it just really lacks some of that creative fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I go through that and think, oh, gee, you know, <laughs> I should be just trying to hang things up and just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I know. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> But no, I feel pretty good. I think whatever we do, I mean, it was small, like that devotional, very easy, but something we've never done before, right. but it was easy to do. The hard part was putting it all together, you know, to be shipped. That yeah. was the hard yeah. work. But the day that we were shipping them, my uh, family, my sister and my nieces showed up that day and uh, we all, we made a assembly line and got oh, them done. You know, so that's one fun. person was doing postage, one person was stuffing the envelopes, one person was putting a, a little paper in with the devotional that kind of explained a few things and so we were able to get it done. I like that idea. Only yeah, we were, yeah, we we were, we were, we were I, again, it's like create, you know, I, I, the, the time for creativity, you were struggling. Well, what do we want to do? I can't think of what, you know, what we want to do. And I was, you know, reminded as I went back through files, I used to create stuff like that, you know, it's like, gosh, and now, now's the time really to do the stuff that I know. Um, but I was happy on Sunday with our, with our worship, our Zoom worship is that we were able to get, um, you know, the, the kids who have these, you know, different Sunday school activities that we really don't know what to do with always. We're able to include them into the Zoom, into the worship service, you know, so they could share some of the work that they had done, kind of a show and tell. And so we're, we're making sure that we're adding that as part of Advent. And I think, you know, depending on how long this thing goes, we'll probably try to figure ways to keep adding that, you know, as, as time goes. That's a good idea. Good call. The other um, thing is that we, we want to figure out a way to do candle lighting. We for, completely forgot about candle lighting for Advent. And oh, um, no. because we're, we're on Zoom, we don't have like a, a worship space like you do, where you do right. your Zoom and Facebook live from, you know, yep. in, inside of the space. church building. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I'm in my office. Carla was, was in another part of the house because she says when I'm on Zoom, I talk too loud. I get in my preaching voice. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we, we, and we all have candles in our different homes. And we're, we're I think we, you know, 
idea was we're going to do like a candle lighting thing and we forgot to and at the end of the service i noticed you know over my shoulder on my bookshelf is there there was my candle unlit it's like oops forgot that (laughs) Mm, next time gotta remember to light that candle next week or actually two candles yeah that's right hey here's an interesting question for you when you do the advent candle lighting when you do it even in person or whatever for the next week so we just did week one right for week two how do you do it does the new lighter light both candles do you have that first candle pre-lit somehow or like we have for example somebody brings in the light of christ lights the two candles they would light the first one and then the new lighter lights the second candle well how do you oh wow have you thought about that well first of all you know in in our tradition we've never had the the candle lighter person walk in what what are they what are they called are they a bee feeder or what i mean (laughs) is that the name bee feeder isn't isn't that those folks who wear those fancy outfits and light lit the gas lamps in london yeah i I think you're right bee feeder that's funny but um (laughs) But yeah, we've never had that. And so, you know, it's just somebody comes up and they light the first candle and the second week, whoever comes up lights both candles. Okay. You know, and so, so each, we call them each week they light. Acolytes. That's what acolytes. they are, acolytes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is that the right word? I don't know, but that's what we call them. I thought an acolyte <laughs> was, like a, was like a priest in training. Is that? Re- oh. Huh. Like a child priest in training, you know? There you go. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, they're called novitiates, aren't they? Ooh, that's right, novitiate. So I do, I do like I have, I, I like beef feeder. <laughs> that is cool. We're gonna call them beef eaters from now on, but they have to wear the costume. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, okay, I better go. All right. Good talking to you, Cody. Yes, sir. Great, great discussion with uh, Greg. Greg, Greg, yeah, Greg, what is it? Greg, Greg. Okay. Yeah. That was All interesting. Right. A little philosophy mixed in. He's a, he's a, he's a good guy. Bit. He's a smart guy. Yeah. So. All good, right. Well, good, I'm going to stop recording day. here. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Oh, bye, everyone. I think we got that in. Thanks for joining Cody Stauffer and me, Craig Morton, for this podcast. We simply try to record and upload without much editing. What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom and foolishness, sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook Live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at All That's Holy. Our intro and outro music is by At The Speed Of Darkness. Support At The Speed Of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there, as well as follow him on Instagram at At The Speed Of Darkness. 